Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. What's good? What's going on? Welcome back to another episode of the Hogshaven Podcast, powered by SB Nation. You can find us at hogshaven.com, at hogshaven on Facebook and on Twitter. I am your host, Molly Maul. Jamal Force, you can find me on Twitter at Let Maul Tell It. Do not forget to you. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, the Hogshaven crew is back in town. This time I got another guy. Uh, Mark Tyler is checking in with Kyle Smith and myself. Um, and, and I mean, look, you know what's on the agenda. Commanders talk all things commanders. But first and foremost, I got to check in with the fellas and see how they're doing personally. Mark, Kyle, appreciate y'all joining me this week. How y'all doing? Mark, you want to get lead off? Well, it's been a busy week. We just did a uh, spaces yesterday with um, with the team and Dion leading that up. And um, we kind of went through the 53 man roster as it just broke news, uh, maybe a half an hour before we went live. So we kind of spent a lot of time uh, digging into that yesterday. But I think we all knew there was going to be changes today. So everyone was kind of waking up in the morning, scouring the computer, which I was trying to do while I was working. <laughs> And seeing who we, uh, we we got in the practice squad to see who we claimed if we put any claims for anyone at noon. So um, yeah, it was it was a busy last two days. I can say that. And we ain't done yet. And we ain't <laughs> Kyle, done how yet. you doing? Oh, doing pretty good. Yeah, same same kind of thing. Paying a lot of attention to the the folks who were getting cut down. weren't really any big surprises there, and uh, and then paying attention to. Uh, the few people that got picked up, you know, this in the last day or so. So it's been interesting to watch. Um, nothing major. Sorry. Oh, I, good. I got a, I got a, I got a dog too. <laughs> but anyways, you know, all that's going on. Kyle, you getting packages delivered to the house or what? Something's going crazy. <laughs> Kids running through the yard. <laughs> oh man. All right. Well, in the meantime, while those while those dogs are having their fun, um, I guess we can catch up on some of the news to this point. I, I think I did a actually no since I since I've been uh, last one was Monday, so we actually missed all the news on Hogshaven. But I guess to this point, um, 
for those who haven't heard the news, uh, I guess recently Washington has claimed a couple players off of waivers. Uh, Rashad Wild Goose and Tariq Castro Fields, both are cornerbacks, uh, previous of the New York Jets and San Francisco 49ers, respectively. And then the Washington Commanders have released Dejon Harris and David Mayo, but fret not. They got rid of David and picked up John. Uh, trust me, I'm using the first name for a reason. We all know who John is, and I'll I'll give you two seconds before I even tell you his last name because you probably already know him. There's your two seconds. John Bosick is back in Washington. <laughs> uh, the, the the New Orleans Saints released him uh, as part of the the cut down to 53 as well, and uh, Washington was able to snag him back. So um, those are the latest moves in terms of Wednesday, August 31st. Uh, I'm sure everybody has been caught up to the, the cuts prior to that, to that moment. Um, obviously some of the surprise cuts, uh, you know, are what they are. Um, but I'm not going to speak vaguely. I'm going to hand it over to Kyle and I'm going to hand it over to Mark, uh, whoever wants to take the floor first, you got it. Um, uh, but your overall thoughts on, uh, the 53 to this point and, uh, the practice squad, which we'll actually get into afterwards. Um, so we can kind of, you know, work on those surprise cuts because, them going to the practice squad some people actually kind of uh mitigates that whole thing but fellas floor is yours thoughts on the roster uh you can take it whichever way you want to go weak points strong points concerning areas um surprise surprise moves whatever you want to take the floor is yours yeah i i mean i i thought that the the offense uh you know again no real cuts there that were surprised i think maybe some of us were a little surprised that they didn't keep 10 off- offensive linemen, but, you know, there were a couple of uh, sort of border injuries there that might have kept people off. I guess having five tight ends did probably surprise everybody, but I think most folks knew they weren't keeping five tight ends through this whole process. And and Hodges, um, as um, probably expected, you know, when is basically going on to IR this afternoon to allow uh, Bostic to come onto the roster. Um, so that, that may let him protect him. I think he's a good guy for the practice squad. I think, uh, Armani Rogers beat him out, you know, fair and square in the preseason. Uh, so I think really, you know, the defense is where, where things shook up and, and what happened, you know, in terms of the linebackers and cornerbacks, just the, the small number of folks that they kept there and the low, low quality of the back end, you know, there's just almost nobody there beyond, the starters and and obviously they uh improved or they they dealt with that a little bit in terms of some of the folks that they picked up but but i think um a lot of people were scratching their heads now saying well you knew that cornerbacks and linebackers were going to be the weak spot why weren't you doing more in the offseason to try to improve those positions so i saw that mark uh was familiar with one of the the cornerbacks they picked up i'm kind of curious to hear uh mark your thoughts on uh, Tariq and, and the other, um, folks that they picked up, if you've, if you've got any particular insights. Yeah. Thanks Kyle. Um, it was driving me nuts today because half the beat, beat reporters were calling him Tariq Fields Castro. And I was like, Oh my God, we didn't even know this poor guy's name yet. But, um, (laughs) from a claimant standpoint, I think it was a good pickup. Um, he, he is, he really excelled his junior year at Penn state in man coverage. And then our defense fell off a little bit um, the following year. So he was one of those guys that kind of like, you know, it was almost guilt by association. But I am going to say we had a freshman that came in there to Penn State and his name was Kalen King. And he just lit people's eyes up all offseason. So he got a lot of playing time last year. 
Now, what they don't tell you is Penn State doesn't disclose any injuries. So Castro Fields had a lower body injury. It was a leg. I'm not sure exactly what it was, but it wasn't anything that required surgery. But he was not 100% during the season. And you can see that because in his film, it looked like he was a little bit hesitant to plant off that leg and really drive on balls. And his speed wasn't quite what we were used to seeing the past couple of years. But good athlete. They listed him at 6'1". I think he measured just a little bit over six foot at the combine. You know, he's a good size corner with really good length. And he's not afraid to come up and hit you. So I think he'll fit in nicely with this room. And there's a big if, if Del Rio figures out how to use him correctly. You put that kid in the slot and he's not one of those kids that's going to be, you know, change direction, flip the hips, run with the receivers. He's going to be a guy that's going to jam you. He's going to play boundary. He's going to use the sidelines as a third defender. That's kind of what he played at Penn State. And he will come up and hit you. So that's what I like. I, I think, um, too, just a question, because I'm, I'm – I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm familiar with the guy. I'll learn more as the season goes along. But um, it, it's, it seems like, I mean, obviously for them to to add him to the active roster, because, I mean, essentially that's what you're doing when you're claiming off of waivers at, at this point. Um, I, I think that uh, clearly they have some familiarity with him to some degree. At one point they crossed paths with him, whether it's through scouting, because he was here. I think he signed – he signed with them this year as a six round draft pick, right? So he's a he's a rookie or was it last year as a six rounder? He was drafted um, this year, I think. Yeah. Yeah, this year. Yeah. So they have I'm sure they have some familiarity with them. Um and, and from a scouting process type of type of deal. And for them to add them to the fifty three means they they clearly like like what Mark is describing him as, they probably saw something in them that said, Okay, um, we can take a chance on a rookie um and, and work with him as as a death piece. And, and so that was one of the things at the press conference, actually, that um, that did come up, which is exactly what Mark says, was that uh, Castro Fields, Rivera basically said Castro Fields is an outside guy and then Wild Goose is like the inside outside slot guy. So that that's totally consistent there. And, and you know, um, I guess having that versatility is is great. The thing that, you know, drives me nuts is that both of them are kind of described as being uh, pressman corners. And, you know, we know that that wasn't what Del Rio was doing last year or for the most part, even though it looked like maybe he was. And so I just hope we aren't putting guys, you know, into primarily zone packages when that might not be their strength um, and not accounting for scheme fit. I guess we'll see. I, I mean, shoot, I agree. Um, I think one of the things that, because at, at this point you have, uh, Danny Johnson, Corn Elder on your practice squad. And I guess I'll get through the list now and then circle back to my point. But the, the full moves in terms of practice squad, you have Alex Akinbulu, Tackle, uh, Troy Apke, uh, the guy that everybody loves, um, David Bada, David uh, Defensive Tackle, William Bradley King, the end, Corn Elder, uh, cornerback Alec Erickson, uh, receiver, Farad Gardner, your safety, Khalid Hudson, linebacker, Danny Johnson, cornerback, Nolan. Loffenberg, uh, I'm surprised I got that right the first time, uh, guard. Kyrick McGowan, Mark and Mitchell, both receivers. Jared Patterson, your running back, John Toth, uh, center, and Aaron Montero, tackle. And set, uh, like I said, cornerback, Corn Elder, and Danny Johnson are both on your 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 depth chart, I mean, on your, your practice squad now. But when you talk about the, the depth pieces and you mentioned uh, like a specific – way in which they play ball or, or where they excel in man coverage. Um, at this point, if you think about it, 
and this is just on paper and we're just talking on paper we got to see how this thing works out but if these guys are man man guys and you have william jackson as a man guy ben st Juice is a man guy um the only like person that really is known for his processing his his vision and eyes and in, in, in terms of zone is kendall fuller at this point so they're on paper based on what we understand there is a shift in terms of what what their their philosophy is not even their philosophy but the players that they're bringing in is 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 more so aligning with man principles um so that's something that i that i'm noting based on you know who these new guys are yeah i mean i wrote an article on this last year when i thought william jackson and ben st Just were signaling that transfer and and again mark and and jamal you guys are much more x's and o's guys than i am so you know this better than I do, but I was, it was sort of interesting to learn for me to learn was that, you know, a zone coverage scenario papers over more of the sort of talent flaws you might have on your team, or is more forgiving. Let's put it that way. Whereas if you've got really top end talent or you've, you've got guys who are, are excellent at coverage, then you can afford to go into more of a man coverage type scheme. And so um, I don't know, we'll see if, if, if Del Rio changes things up this year, um, I, I, I hope he does, but I'd love to hear what your each of your takes are on that and whether that's realistic or not. I think the biggest thing that we have seen with um, Kendall Fuller is he plays better with his eyes um, going forward. Now, William Jackson, when I watched a lot of uh, Cincinnati games, especially when we signed him, I was interested to see what type of coverage. I didn't watch a ton of Bengals games before that, but I'd seen him play. I knew what kind of name he had. Um, he is a hip trail guy, so – he used to get right up in the grill. He used to jam you and then he used to play hip trails. So he was used to having his back turned to the quarterback, turning that head when the ball would be coming, you know, reading that receiver's eyes, reading that receiver's hands where Fuller was, was the complete opposite. Even in KC, when they played him in the slot, when they played him in a little bit of safety, he always played better with the receiver, keeping the receiver in front of him. And I think we saw that a little bit more last year when he got moved back to the outside they were playing a lot of red coverage with him or a matchup zone where he would be, you know, reading number. So he would be lined up on one. He would be reading number two. So if one broke off on a short route, he would have to pick up number two in that matchup um, where they did do some mix up coverages. They did some black coverages on the other side with William Jackson toward the middle and latter part of the year before he got hurt. So I think that's what we're going to see is a little bit of mixed coverage between Del Rio this year, especially given the, those guys definitely have their strengths. And he, I think he knows and wants to play them to their strengths. So fingers crossed on that part. And from a baseline standpoint altogether, uh, like the match principles in itself is like part of the, the I mean, the man concept, like there's always going to be some sort of, man i mean there's always man within a within a, a play regardless but ultimately like when you talk about that match I, I assume you're saying the two is going vertical um that two guy that kendall would be reading correct um, when he okay yeah yeah okay all right so yeah and so in essence um i i don't i understand what you're saying mark and to your to your question kyle i i, I don't know it's hard to really predict where jack's head is at <laughs> um i really I, I will I will hope to believe that, you know, he's adapting to his personnel or that he can adapt to his personnel in a reasonable time, like in a reasonable fashion, meaning um, you're not waiting three or four weeks to get something done. Uh, and with the, the talent that he has uh, on the, 
the the top heavy guys like your your defensive linemen, your starters on that side, your your linebackers. I mean, John Bosick is back, so how are you going to implement him? Because you you proclaim that David Mayo was your run stopping linebacker, so how are you going to use him? I I hope you just I hope put it this way. I actually hope that Jamin Davis proves that he can be. Uh, a solid run defender versus actually trying to fit <laughs> John Boss again. Uh, so, so we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But then, when you come to your secondary, how are you going to utilize that that third uh, that third uh, safety, or how how is that going to work? And then with the cornerbacks, like I, it's it's hard to really see what Jack Del Rio is going to do because for two years, um, you know, you've been asking for someone who can actually adapt to uh, his personnel, but also, um like take on the heavier offenses, maybe like the more efficient offenses. And how do you, how do you kind of stifle them? And um, every time that you ran across a, an offense outside of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which is in, in Green Bay Packers for that matter. Um, but when you run into these guys, you really don't have answers defensively. Like you're, you're hoping that, you know, you just line them up in a true X's and O's or, or one-on-one type of thing. And like, you, you just hoping that you got your guys win. Um, you got to do a little bit better. So, when it comes to adjustments, Kyle, I, we hope that the people that he's bringing in is going to work, but it's going to—it's hard to say right now. And, and I guess that's kind of the 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 downtime that we have up until you know week one because you're you're kind of trying to project what can happen after you've seen two years of information, <laughs> and the the long way to get into the the answer is I just don't just don't know. <laughs> it's hard it's hard to project. And to be honest with you, if you ask that question for the offensive side of the football. You understand what they're doing. You understand more clearly what they're doing on the offensive side of the football. Like the pieces are there. Uh, you have their quarterback to do certain things with the, the receiving core that you have and the tight ends that you have. You have a good running back group, but you still don't know what Scott Turner is capable of from a week to week basis. Um, so yeah, it's it's a really it's a really tough question. I'm not gonna lie to you. Yeah, I mean, I, and again, at the risk of slipping into the things, you know, what are the five things the team needs to do to, to succeed? I, I think, you know, this issue of, of the defensive line gap integrity and, and you know, everybody sticking to their assignments um, is a huge piece. It's obviously going to have an impact on how the secondary looks. And and I guess, I don't know. I, I don't know how you guys feel after the preseason, but I felt like there were still a lot of the same stupid mistakes happening over and over again um, that 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 shouldn't have been allowed to happen. I know, uh, Mark, you really took Shaka Tony to, to town for, for one of his uh, <laughs> rounds behind the quarterback, um, yeah. but it was happening all over the place. Was yeah. it the scramble in the last game? Um, that I mean, some, It was a play or maybe – was it a play that led to a scramble, a quarterback scramble? There was two of those. Um, the first one was the Kansas City game where I think he almost did a complete 360 around the quarterback and actually got pushed back to almost where he started. It was uh, unbelievable to see that. The one in the recent game against Baltimore was um, an inside zone that popped to the outside because Shaka came flying up the field. The linebacker scraped over and he got picked off by a, a lineman on the second level. So obviously having no defensive end there to set the edge. There was a huge gap, but I think our safety had to come up and make a play. But I think it was, um, God, probably a nine or eleven yard pop. But it was just okay. Tony being undisciplined. Okay. And and even to that point though, because I do want to, we can we can stick on this for a quick second. Uh, that defensive line is like one of the issues, and and it's only it was two weeks primarily, obviously for for this preseason. But you saw like the issues, like the first week against the Carolina Panthers. 
I thought the pressure was fine. There was moments and lapses in which the the defensive line couldn't contain and, and didn't contain. I know Deron Payne got pushed out of his out of his uh his his rush lane a couple times against the Panthers, but um for the most part pressure was was there, but um there was void in the end. And then the the second game, I thought that the pre- the the pressure wasn't there. Um, they weren't able to get to the to the quarterback. And I mean, con- contextually speaking, you're going up against Pat Mahomes, but ultimately, you still have a good defensive line on paper. Like you you still got to do better. Um, and and it comes down to discipline. To your point, Mark, is and it's where I'm getting at. Uh, like the marriage between the secondary and the front end isn't there, and it hadn't shown itself in preseason. So, I think the the gap discipline. Is definitely one thing uh, in which you don't know how it's going to turn out for a 17 week season or a 17 game season. But ultimately, like if you're if you're looking in terms of uh, a team that really can use that help in terms of turning things around from a pass rush standpoint, um, top 10 in sacks last year. But you're not you were nowhere near where you where where you're supposed to be. Um, top 10 can get you what 39 38 sacks but you're looking at a, a, a team that's capable of producing 45 or 50 if they had anything from the edge rushers mm-hmm. your edge rushers couldn't provide anything and and you got 39 off the back of jonathan allen <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's kind of where that's kind of how things went last year so uh to you all's point gap discipline is going to be important and um if you have anything else on the, the front seven or even the defense in general uh we can go we can we can do that and, and then transition to that offense I think just but one quick point is we do see some position flex on that defense. So I think we're going to see um, Abada being used a little bit, maybe even into the five technique. Um, I think we saw that in the first preseason game with him lined up inside. But if we see some more of those bare fronts, Abada's going to be the guy that you kind of kick inside. And you're going to leave your speed rushes, which is going to be James Smith, Williams and Sweat to start the season off. And obviously when Chase comes back that'll throw a whole different dimension onto that pass rush. But if we see those bare fronts, I do think that Wise has the ability, Mathis has the ability, but if they want to get some speed and get some intricate blitz packages, even throwing six men at that bear package, um, I think you're going to see Obata be the guy that can split that gap and get upfield pretty quickly because he's big, he's strong, he's physical, and he knows how to pass rush. He's got some good moves and he's got good hands. So I know we are a little bit light along that defensive front, but I do feel that they're going to use Obata in a couple of different ways. And he's kind of the guy I'm leaning on to see where they're going to use his versatility. All right. So let's go ahead and transition. I was waiting. I didn't know if Kai had anything, but let's go ahead and transition to that offense. Um, because the offense is probably the most optimistic. And it's, it's crazy how, like I'm a defensive guy. Like personally, I, I love great defense. Um, and when it comes to Washington, my whole outlook has changed on this team uh, just from the offseason and even still to this point in the preseason and, and going into the regular season. I'm still very optimistic about what this offense could be. Um, but, fellas, where are we at with who they had, who they currently have on their roster? Obviously, Curtis Hodges to IR, short-term IR. Um, you have four tight ends. Um, and, and your offensive line situation, is it is what it is, and I think it, they're in pretty good standing outside of the, the unknown status of Trey Turner. Um, and I think that's, I think that's it in terms of injuries for that offensive line or potential injuries for Austin offensive line. So, um, where are we at with, with this, with this offensive side of the football? What are, what are some of your, um, 
some strengths that you'll highlight and I guess maybe some weaknesses out of this unit that you'll that you'll be focused on as this regular season is uh actually a couple days away a few days away yeah kick us off Kyle yeah so uh, you know I, I felt like they were really really um conservative with some of the potential injuries on the offensive line I felt like they weren't playing guys who probably could have played under a game situation. I mean, I think Bates probably, you know, would have come out. Turner, I think, probably would have played if it was a real-life situation. And I think certainly some of the offensive linemen were similarly held back, which probably makes sense in the preseason. Um, I also talked a bit about how I thought the way they used Wentz in the preseason, although lots of people hated it because it was pretty – uh, you know, sort of check down oriented, small ball kind of stuff. I felt like it was the perfect way to use him in the preseason because that was what he needed to work on. We know Carson Wentz can go deep easily. That's a ball that he has no trouble throwing. So he really needs to focus on uh, getting rid of it uh, when when he's under pressure, if he doesn't have other options. So, you know, I, I'm I'm encouraged. I, I I think, you know, if ever there was a time for Scott Turner to show his stuff, um, he's got it. Of course, the stuff with Brian Robinson is terrible, but I, you know, I was really excited about getting to use Gibson finally in a way that I felt like really fully took advantage of his talents. Um, and so I think there's so many weapons here. I think the offensive line, assuming it stays healthy, is going to be very good. Um, and I think Wentz, if he can just, you know, not play hero ball is going to really, uh, be able to elevate this offense too. So I, I'm I'm excited about the offense. I'm a lot more excited about the offense than I'm about the defense, frankly. And I feel like um, I can very easily see a situation in which the season goes that the the offense is is doing the heavy lifting and the defense just has to not completely break down in order to be successful. It, it, I agree, Kyle. I mean, I can't. You, you said it perfectly, but this is following the trend of the modern day NFL. And I think we've been bitching and complaining as fans that um, I think over the last three years, we were bottom three in points scored. And I, I want to say, if you take that three year average, it was only like 18 and a half points per game that we were averaging over these past three years. So you got to score consistently above 25, 26 points to be able to stay competitive and win games, unless you're the 85 bears, which we know we're not. So I think this was refreshing to see this complete 180 with all this focus on offense and you guys have probably ribbed me for years and years because, you know, I'm always like, get me a wide receiver, get me a running back, get me a, a, a go-to move tight end. But um, those things came to fruition this year. And it was pretty exciting for me to see, you know, I've never seen this young and this potentially dynamic of a receiving core as we have in place right now uh, with Terry being really the elder statesman of the top four, um, you know, Dotson, you guys have seen him in camp. I mean, the, the kid catches everything. They talk about, you know, his uh, catch radius all the time, making that big joke about that. But, dude, he catches mm -hmm. everything that comes his way. So to be able to have a, a solid six that can contribute at any point in a game is exciting to me. Um, but really looking at these tight ends, we have so much different versatility within the tight end room right now. Um, you know, we have Logan that is a little bit of a do-all type of guy. And, you know, having him back this year is going to be instrumental in, in not only Wentz being successful, but our offense being able to click. And then you have a guy like Turner who can stretch the field vertically. Um, you know, he's more of that move tight end that we've been looking for for a, a, quite a while. And then you got the in-between guy who is Bates. You know, he's got the sneaky hands, but he's a great blocker. I think he rated one of the best blocking tight ends last year from PFF. So mm -hmm. we do have a lot of skill. And then we have a young, a couple of young guys we can develop. So 
very exciting on that part. And as long as this offensive line can be slightly above average, um, I think we're going to be in a really good situation where we can score 25 to 26 points per game offensively. Do you all think I'm in a position where um, I've said a couple times now since since the Brian Robinson injury, um, just thinking on the football side of things, I'm if I'm Scott Turner, I understand the situation that I'm in. Uh, Brian Robinson is hurt. You don't know when he's going to come back. But you have Jonathan Williams, you have J.D. JD McKissick, and you have Antonio Gibson here. If I'm if I'm Scott Turner, I am not relegating Gibson back to primary ball carrying. Like I'm not. I wouldn't. I personally wouldn't do it. And the reason why is not because I think that Antonio Gibson uh, is a bad player. It is partially because I don't trust him. <laughs> I don't trust him to, to run in between the tackles, and that's partially yep. the reason. But the other reason behind that is that I don't want to diminish or uh, decrease the amount of time in which he's going to develop as another player. If I had him as a person who's going to be on special teams from a team standpoint, okay, we need to make sure that he still finds his way on kickoffs. And then from an offensive standpoint, if I was going to make sure that I use him uh, in a in a rotation basis, but also implement him in the pass game out of the backfield or motion him into the receiver, uh, to a receiver spot, or maybe even the slot. I'm going to make sure that I continue to do that with Antonio Gibson because when Brian Robinson is going to come back eventually, <laughs> you're going to get him back. So I'm not I'm not going to sit here and say, all right, AG, I don't trust you, but we're going to make sure that you get 20 carries a game now. Um, nah, I'm still with that 10 or less area. So. What do you all think about Antonio Gibson's role with with the status of Brian Robinson being unclear? What do you all want him to do? Uh, and what do you think they will do uh, with Antonio Gibson? So I, I think I have to disagree with you a little bit on this, Jamal. At least just my personal opinion is I agree with tone down his usage. Uh, but I think he goes back into the RB1 slot with Robinson out, which is, you know, to say um, he, he you're starting the game off with him. You're using him primarily as a runner, you're trying to use him in the passing game a little bit more, but I just think the drop off as a running back from him to somebody like Jonathan Williams is too dramatic to, to try to, you know, essentially swap Williams into the Robinson role and then uh, use uh, Gibson this other way. So that's kind of what I think. I mean, I, again, I, I understand the impulse that you're describing um, and, and I, even before Robinson came around, I wanted to see Gibson used a little bit less intensively because I felt like it was taking a toll on him physically, but, um, I do feel like he falls back into that RB one role with, uh, Robinson, uh, you know, out for a bit. Yeah, I, I, I agree there. I do think that, um, that Gibby is going to get his touches as a running back, but I do think we're going to see more creative ways to get him in space and match him up on opponents because he, he's a great mismatch, you know, so he can run an angle route from the backfield. He can run the arrow route and up from the slot. He can, you know, run the slants. He can run the seams. He can run the stutter and goes. He can do a choice route. So if Turner is smart, I mean, and even coming out on first and second down sometimes, you're going to motion him out of the backfield and you're going to find those mismatches and be able to use him in the, whether it's a screen pass, middle screen, black screen, tunnel screen, whatever it is, you got to find different ways that you can use him to mismatch him on defenses. And I think that's going to be the key. I, I think Turner has the ability to do it. And I know that's where Gibbs. I was going next. I'm about to say, do you think that Turner is capable of it? And I, to my point, cause my answer is going to be short. Um, it's kind of what I stand back with Jack Del Rio. We understand that these guys are, are you know, they're coaches for a reason. And 
but they're they're being provided you know players to get the job done and last year was was a rough year for scott turner admittedly and even 2020 to an extent but you had a quarterback and taylor heineke for 16 games so even with those 16 games if you knew he couldn't get the offense that you wanted across like if you couldn't if you couldn't work the scheme that you wanted to work i felt like there was also a way in which you could have adjusted um whether it's through uh changing up uh how you how you attack defenses or maybe even changing up how you utilize uh heineke from a mobility standpoint i just felt like you could have changed some things and um i'm not putting all the onus on scott turner i would just say uh i would love to see or give him that trial run because i don't know just yet if he's capable yeah, I mean, I don't need to tell Mark what Taylor Heineke's shortcomings are, but yeah, I, I must say, I, 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 Mark, I, I, hey, Mark, Mark got a he got a record. But, <laughs> we say it all on know, Twitter. I, I think they sort of overlooked Scott Turner won seven games with Taylor Heineke. You know, I mean, that's that's to me impressive. You know, I mean, given the guy's shortcomings, you look at a, you know, Teddy Bridgewater or a lot of these other guys who've been sort of like career backups in the NFL, and most of them, you know, have records that are equal or worse than Heineke's. And so, I, I, you know, I, again, I made no secret that I loved the guy's heart, but his physical shortcomings, uh, and again, Mark can talk more competently about this than I can. I just think give him a ceiling. doesn't matter if his, you know, if Joe Gibbs was his offensive coordinator or, you know, whoever else it's, it's seven wins with that guy in, in the NFL in a pretty tough schedule I think that's an accomplishment, you know? I mean, I know we don't want to look at mediocrity or le- less as, as something to aspire to, but I think we do have to take that into consideration in this case. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, given the situation, I think that Turner did the best he could given that situation. Um, you know, not taking anything away from what Taylor did or what he didn't do in certain situations, but I do feel that being a starting quarterback in that type of offense that Turner wants to run, we, we want to see him push the ball on the field. I mean, this is a hybrid vertical offense of the Eric Coriel system. So, um, you know, we've talked at length about that type of offense and the style. So he wants to push the ball on the field, but he wants to use play action. Um, I think we're going to be able to see the full offense this year and what he has. Uh, now, I'm not going to judge him after this season because I do feel that it's going to take a little bit of time for him to gel with a new quarterback under center and new receivers and, you know, some new linemen, but um, playing Taylor at quarterback last year basically took half the field away and um, a quarter of your playbook. And as bad as that sounds, I I do feel that's 100% accurate and and true because we know he couldn't push the ball much more than 50 yards down the field. We saw him under throw so many balls. So having Wentz back there is just going to give us – it's just going to open things up. It's going to make defenses respect him. He can throw the ball 65 to 70 yards in the air. We have the receivers that can run four threes. So they can get underneath the ball and track it. Um, so it's going to open up a lot of things. This, this is going to be a fun offense to watch. And I don't think – what is it, Kyle? Maybe like 16, 17 that we have had this type of offense? What do you think, Mark? Yeah, well, I'd say like with uh, when you had um, Deshaun Jackson and Pierre Garçon and mm-hmm. those guys, you know, I mean, and, and Cousins. Proud and and quarterback. Yeah, yeah it's, been a, it's been a long time. It's been a while, so, yep. So we're talking about six years, uh, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, okay, so ultimately, um, if you had to make a bet, uh, and this is the last thing, we'll get to our five things with, with Washington winning the East – you had to make a bet in terms of um betting that the offense would be 
a top 10 unit this year or that the defense will be a top 12 unit this year. Um, and you had to bet the house on whichever option, but you had to pick one. You couldn't, you couldn't pick both. You couldn't pick night neither. You had to pick one and you had to bet the house. Who are you betting the house on that top 10 offense? Or are you betting uh, that it's, that we can get a top, top 12 defense? I'm betting on the offense. Um, I, I hate to say it, but I, I, I think this is probably a, a bottom third defense, you know, at the end of the day. And I, you know, I look at that wide receiver room. If people stay healthy, that's easily to me, that's easily a top 10 re- wide receiver room. Um, and again, if Logan and John Bates and Cole Turner work out, you know, that's a, that's a very solid tight end room running backs, probably top five. If Brian Johnson's fully healthy, you know, I mean, I, I think the guys at Sirius XM put it in a, in the top five, didn't they mark in terms of the, the running back room there? Yeah. Pat, Pat and Jim loved our running back room. Yeah. Offensive line again, top 10 offensive line. That's it's been top 10 for the past two years. And then it really, oh, of course it comes down to Carson. So I think that's not, you know, I, I, I wouldn't bet on that solely, but if I'm bet taking one or the other of those bets, I'm taking the bet on the offense. I would, I would agree. Um, I would definitely feel more comfortable leaning offense this year. Now, I do think this defense is going to surprise us. I, I think that we're going to see better communication on the back end, and the communication was something that William Jackson III and, and um, you know, they, he talked at length about it. And, mm-hmm. by the way, he's one of the most entertaining press. I love listening to WJ3. He cracks me up. He's just so real that it's refreshing to listen to him in a press conference. So um, him and McCain, they had a little bit of difficulty communicating last year and they'll be the first people to tell you, but having those two back in that defense and being able to bring back the majority of that secondary and keep it intact and only have a little bit of a flip-flop at linebacker. I think that's going to help this defense, but yeah, I'm going to go with exactly what Kyle said. If you had to bet the house on this, I'm going to, I'm going to say offense being in the top 10, um, possibly even being top seven um, when it comes to uh, total yards. I'm not going to repeat anything you all just said. I'm going to say I agree. I'm on the offensive <laughs> side, too. <laughs> I, mean, I leave that there. We're all on yeah. offense this year, and this team was built for defense for the last four or five years. <laughs> hey, man, times have changed. These guys mm-hmm. scared us last year. That's what they did. They scared the hell out of us. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, all right, so, fellas, let's go ahead and close this out with our five ways that Washington can win the NFC East. So, for me, I'll start off with number one. And I, the way we can do it, I guess, if we go, since we do have five um, ways, I, I, I'll ask you all, do you want to go through your five or do you want to go one by one and, and knock them out that way? Which, which way do you all want to get this, get this list done? Your call. Yeah, I think we're going to have a lot of overlap. So we might as we probably should just go one by one. And, you know, uh, maybe okay. there's going to be seven different things among the, the three of us, but probably there's gonna be a lot of agreement, I would think. Okay, let's go one by one then. So I'll start off, and my first one is uh, these are all in no particular order, but obviously just five things. Um, Washington, at minimum, must split the series between the Eagles and the Cowboys. But ultimately, four division wins is is the goal. That's what has to happen, uh, and, and and that's one way for me in which Washington can win the East. Last year, uh, we all we all know split. Um, excuse me, swept by Philly and by Dallas, but then you got your sweep of New York, but ultimately a, a coach in, in Ron Rivera and a, a Washington under his tenure, who's ultimately six and six, no, uh, six. 
for the yeah they're six and six i believe in divisional games um if i if my math is right four eight either way they're 500 that's the easiest way to do it i'm not that good at math everybody knows that um but they're 500 <laughs> with individual games with ron rivera and ultimately um you're, you're going up against a team in which uh, you have a clear cut like he's the eagles are clear cut favorites at, at this point and if they aren't I'm surprised. I would be legitimately surprised if they aren't clear-cut favorites by the majority out there. And then obviously Dallas Cowboys, a, a team who has a stable quarterback position, um, and, and our division winners, are re, uh, and, and they're going to have opportunities in that way. But ultimately for Washington, um, if you're trying to get uh, a, a, a way into uh, winning that number one seed for, or number one in your in your division, uh, it starts with taking care of the East and um, trying to overcome uh, the Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys, who uh, last year essentially dominated you. Good call. Kyle, uh, you yeah. I'm going to say, Kyle, you want to take the floor? Yeah, I mean, you know, again, I, I, I don't know that I have that level of specificity, but I think, you know, we're going to have to see Carson Wentz, um, again, lead this offense in a way uh, that that maybe he really hasn't for the past couple of years in terms of his – teams and, and just cut down on the stupid mistakes. I mean, even last year, you know, he had whatever, 27 touchdowns, seven INTs, which is a, a really nice ratio, but you know, he did a couple of uh, dumb things every once in a while, throwing, throwing left-handed passes and, you know, taking sacks when he shouldn't have. So I think we really just, he just really needs to get it under control that, that um, he can't put the team, you know, there are times to put the team on your back, but, but you can't make a habit of it in terms of, um, these efforts. And so I think it's going to really be, you know, it's almost like Ken Zampezi and Scott Turner are probably gonna have to play psychologist to him a little bit in terms of just right sizing um, his expectations for um, how he does this. He's certainly got the tools to do it. I mean, he's a very bright guy. Um, and I still, you know, one of the fascinating things to me about him is that, you know, I, I do think maybe he has sort of an overthinking problem when he's uh, got a little too much time on his hands and that sort of stuff. So it's it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, and and hopefully um, he will have matured a bit since his uh, previous stops, and and he'll he'll be able to really um, play at the level that I think a lot of us think he's capable of um, if he gets that the the sort of bad decisions under control. Nice. I like it. I like it. I'm glad we're doing one by one. That was definitely that was definitely one on my list. <laughs> so so we can go ahead and cross that thing off on my side. It was it was yeah, Mark, what you got? Yep. Um so my first one, I'm gonna keep it really short and sweet, but it's win the turnover battle. Um we have not done a very good job winning the turnover battle in the last couple of years. So um I'd like to see us come out, force turnovers, limit the mistakes um on offense. And uh if we can win the turnover battle, that's gonna be a huge hurdle. Yeah, they didn't get any interceptions this preseason, did they? Nope. No, we dropped, no we dropped a all. couple, though. We dropped a couple, I think. Um, oh, who had one right in his hands? Uh, Corn Butler. Elder. That was the one in, in Kansas yeah, City. Yep, that he, Elder, he, Elder they in the had a concussion Butler. protocol type of thing. Yep, Butler had one on, on an out. Not, I, I think oh, he yeah. jumped an out route or something like that. But, um, yeah, yeah there was game, a couple Carolina. of guys. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, um, that's my first and simple one. And to add to it, though, and – I think I mean because I, I I that was another one on my list, so cross that one off. <laughs> but twenty third <laughs> last year, uh, with nineteen turnovers, um, last year's top ten would have got you with twenty five. So it was a six, it was a six turnover dif- difference. But I think the thing with with this thing, Mark, overall in terms of the defensive side of the football, 
They went seven games last year without forcing a turnover. They got their turnovers in bunches. That's that's how they got them. And, and seven mm-hmm. games without a turnover last year uh, is really harmful. That's nearly 50% of your your, your season um, yeah. and, and that you're approaching. And ultimately, to your point, I 100% agree with you. In, in order for them to win the East and even make it uh, into the playoffs altogether, you have to find a way to get turnovers on a consistent basis and not get them in bunches because bunches is only going to help you for one game. And even still in the bunches that they got last year with a, an inept offense, um, in a sense, they lost a couple of those games that they forced turnovers in. <laughs> the yep. Kansas City Chiefs game, prime example, three turnovers forced and you got blown out 31-13, uh, 21-0 in the second half of the uh, second half of the game. So uh, to your point, I 100% agree with you. Um, but yep. you have to find a way to make this thing a consistent way of, of forcing turnovers throughout the season and not just in bunches um for me number two uh i will go um terry mclaurin so terry last year was 25th in the nfl with 59 receptions 20th in yards with 1053 and 41st in touchdowns with five um you know he has a new contract he has an above average quarterback now at the very least an above average quarterback uh, Terry needs to solidify himself as a game changer. And in order for them to win the East, you're talking about Terry taking off as a true number one receiver statistically. Um, we know that Terry McLaurin in this in Washington is a number one receiver. Like the locals know it. Um, and it's not about like getting that national recognition, but it's like backing up what we say and how you feel about yourself probably in Terry McLaurin and establishing it from a production standpoint on the field. Yes, contextually speaking, you you had issues with quarterbacks last year. You had issues with quarterbacks since you've been in the league. Uh, but at the end of the day, again, when we talk about stability and you have uh, a quarterback who uh, knock on wood can stay healthy, he's gonna he's gonna find a way to get you the ball. Like you're probably his best receiver that he's had since Deshaun Jackson, and Deshaun Jackson only played five games with him in 2020 or 20, 2019, whatever, however much time he didn't play that many games with Deshaun Jackson. And then before that, it's Alshon Jeffrey. So you kind of get the point. Like, he hasn't had really good receivers in a long time, and Terry is his best one. So for Terry to have this opportunity with this quarterback uh, and you have a new contract, like, this is this is your opportunity to break out and establish yourself in the NFL as that true number one receiver. And if you can get a guy with number one stats and Terry McLaurin and have his other receivers feed off of Terry, then you're looking at an offense that's probably, to Mark's point, uh, potentially top seven. But it, it all goes down to how they can how they can use Terry, but also how Terry steps his game up from an individual standpoint too. So I'm saying that Terry has to be a, a true number one receiver this year in order for uh, Washington to win the NFC East. Yeah, so mine dovetails, I think, actually pretty nicely with that one. It's not quite the same, but it's similar. And that's that, you know, the Washington, I think, has to have uh, at least uh, three 700-yard-plus receivers, essentially, that they – they need to be able to spread the ball around. They need to be able to spread it around reliably, not just to Terry. And I've said this uh, before, which is to say, you know, I actually, I, I certainly wouldn't mind if Terry had, and, and Gibson for that matter, had slightly less uh, gaudy numbers this year. Um, if it's the product of the offense getting used in a more diverse fashion. So um, I'd love for Terry to go over a thousand yards, um, but I'd hate for Terry to go over a thousand yards and our next biggest receiver is 300 yards or something like that. But I think, you know, Samuel, um, Dotson, um, you know, whoever else can step up. And if we can get three real threats uh, as wide receivers, we'll be in pretty good shape. 
Nice, man. You guys are – I love the offensive mindset for both of you guys. It's, it's hey, look, I'm all in, baby. <laughs> so so I'm going to keep I'm gonna keep this one, again, pretty simple, but it's going to have basically two provided into one here for us. Um, so it's really keep the offense off the field. Stop giving up third down conversions, third and long. Anything over third and seven, we got to step up and play a better defense and get that offense into a punting situation. When we and that's that's through the division, but that's also through the league. So through our entire schedule, and then to to play off that, obviously we got to convert third downs. So we haven't been the best at converting third downs. Um, some of it's poor play calling, some of it's execution. But if we can do those things, we can convert third downs and keep the ball moving. I want to see those long drives. And I want to see us get the defense, our offense off the field and, um, and, and get our offense back onto the field. So they're, they're the two keys for me, kind of two snuck into one little, uh, little, little point there. I'm with you. Um, and situational football is always important. I think one of the things, fellas, um, that, that really alarmed me more than anything, like I, I'm glad the preseason is over with first and foremost, but I think one of the things that really alarms me is not – exactly how a team plays like the outcome of the game right it's it's the 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 meat and bones the meat and potatoes i guess is the right way of saying it of how the game is played from a from a a execution standpoint like how are you winning in situational football or how are you looking in situational football are you winning majority of those battles is your percentages in favor of you are you showing some type of competency in the red zone uh, on third downs on the plus side of the field uh, and defensively, same thing on third downs in red zone. How are you uh, even takeaways? Like we 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 know these things uh, because the preseason is over with. Like how they performed, but the one thing that got to me is what Mark is pointing to: situational football and and also just keeping our offense on the field uh, and making sure that they're they're on the field as much as possible. The one thing that bothered me was that in the preseason is the fact that they couldn't establish drives and when they did um you know you're kicking the field goal <laughs> and, and and you're not even really scoring against the ones it's opposing teams ones um and, and that's kind of what really uh had me hesitant uh on the the, the preseason is how they executed from a situational standpoint but what was it so guys remind me i think it was in the second quarter where we drove down and we were inside the two-yard line and we had a false start penalty i think it was on beavers and montero um do you guys remember that from last game? Um, I don't because uh, yeah, I know I was I was I in and out. I don't remember that one. I remember they got taken out of field goal range by some penalties. I think at one point in the game, but I don't remember that specific instance. Yeah, we were. Wait, we was it the, was it the fall start and then he got sacked? Sam Howe got sacked. I think. Uh, I I don't think Let it was all in sack, but we were down we were down inside the two yard line. We had um <clears throat> we had a nice drive down there. I think we maybe had a short field or something like that, but we ended up um having a false start. Or, um, yeah, I think it was a false start. I'm almost positive it was Beavers or Montero. No, I apologize. They called it on Toth. They called it on our center. You know what he did? He, he did a double head bob and snapped the ball immediately after the second head bob. So I think they, they didn't come out and explain it like they normally do during the regular season. But he was saying that they, that head bob was what could have possibly drew the defense offside, and they called him the false start. So it's stupid penalties like that that when we get inside the five yard line and then you get, you know, moved back because of a dumb penalty, we got to stop stuff like that. That was, and I think we ended up uh, kicking a field goal um, instead yeah, of scoring a touchdown. Right that was, it might've been in the third quarter too. It might've been a little bit later. 
Here we go. Yeah, not nah, third and one at the third and one at the one. Um, penalty on John Tall, false start, and then the next play. Yeah, so it was Sam Howell got sacked on the next play. Okay. Um, right, yeah. yeah, got a got a got an eleven yard sack or five yard sack and ends up kicking the field goal. That's um, right. But yeah, 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 like it's it's just kicking yourself in the foot in, in those simple so, simple situations. Um, that that just had me nervous. So that's a that's a really excellent uh ad or note right there for uh, one of the ways that they can really win the. Easy. It's, it's really about execution and being disciplined. Yeah, um, I'll get to my last. Mistakes. Absolutely, I'll get to my last one. Um, my last one is really coming down to another like a schedule thing. Uh, Jacksonville, Detroit, Chicago, Houston, Atlanta, and then New York Giants twice, fellas. If you put yourself in their shoes, Jacksonville, Detroit, Chicago, Houston, Atlanta, and even the Giants. Um, they are NFC East rivals, uh, but if you put yourself in their shoes, the fans of fans of those teams, respectively, and you look at Washington on your schedule, one of the first things that you're going to say is, we have to beat Washington. I think we got a shot against Washington. Um, I think Washington's going to catch us sleeping, or, or catch we're going to catch Washington sleeping, etc. All these things is about they have a shot against Washington. And ultimately, Washington it has to have that, that mindset in which um, you know, you're facing against teams that they're going to have uh, these uh, seemingly uh, like beatable uh, ops or opportunities for Washington. And you have to take advantage of those things, especially against those type of teams. And, and I'm not sitting here saying you have to sweep uh, that whole, uh, what, six teams. But if you're winning five out of six from that group, then you have a really good shot to propel yourself to win uh, the NFC East and maybe even go further than just a four seed. Maybe you go higher than that, but ultimately you have to find a way to win at least five of those six uh, matchups. I mean, technically it's going to be seven because you face the Giants twice, but if you're getting five out of six of those teams, then you're in really good shape, but you have to beat those teams because you're in a spot where you have to propel yourself uh, around Rivera, um, is also, you know, putting that pressure. I always circle back to Ron, but you're putting yourself in that situation to, to put that pressure on you as a, from a team standpoint to, to to actually take over and elevate yourself this year. Um, you start by elevating against the teams in which <laughs> people think that you should you should beat. So I, it, it comes down to Jacksonville, Detroit, Chicago, Houston, Atlanta, and the Giants. You have to win at least five of those six against five of, five of those six teams. Yeah, I mean, I agree. If you look at the first six games, so it's Jacksonville, Detroit, uh, Philadelphia, Dallas, uh, yep. Tennessee, and the Bears. I mean, I figure you have to go three, at least three and three in those six games. You know, if you yep. come out of that, you're two and four or worse. Uh, to me, the season's basically shot because, you know, I mean, and people say, well, yeah, Jacksonville's gotten better. Yeah, Detroit's gotten better. Sure, they've gotten better. But if you think you're a playoff team or you're a team that's going to compete for the division, uh, those are those are things you've got to games you got to just be able to count on as wins. Um, and I, I, I said it on the board yesterday. You know, I think in that first six games, we're going to have a pretty good sense of where this team is and what it's capable of. And um, you know, my hope is that we're better than three and three coming out of that. But I think that's a, that's a floor in terms of what I would think would be acceptable um, in those in those first games. I agree with both of you guys. I think. Um fast start is what I had written down. So I think we need to come out to a fast start and we have some easier teams in the beginning of our schedule that we could take advantage of. We should be able to take advantage of. So I agree. I think that's a great point from both of you guys. Um, 
the final one that I wanted to throw out. I apologize. I got a great, <laughs> I got a great hairless cat. So it looked, it looked like, it looked like they scared you. Maul, <laughs> <laughs> he scared the shit because I didn't see him coming out of the I was writing something down. So there's Lewis. Uh, that's down. hilarious. What's up, um, Lewis? <laughs> <laughs> so the the one I was going to bring up was is keep Carson upright, and I think we do a good job. Um, I think this unit sets up nicely into pass protection. Norwell tends to be a little bit more of a beast in the run game. Um, but, you know, Eric Flowers was the same way too. But I think I think Norwell actually has a little bit better grade in passing where, where Flowers rated a little bit stronger in running. Correct me if I'm wrong. It could be flip-flopped on that. But ultimately, I think we need to keep Carson upright. We need to give him good protection. And if we do that, um, you know, good things are going to happen. So we can't let him sit back there and get sacked 40 plus times this year. We got to protect him. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, Kyle, I didn't know if you, you got something. Well, I was just going to say, I, you know, again, I think a, a piece of that's going to be on Carson, as I said earlier, you know, he's got to be able to get rid of the ball in a reasonable amount of time, but obviously, you know, the, the offensive line needs to give him, you know, a good, three seconds uh each time at least but if he's scrambling around trying to you know make something happen and and instead of just throwing the ball away or, or you know spiking it down and whatnot um we can't see those kinds of sacks where he's taking the team out of field goal range or you know losing seven or ten yards on on sacks either so um yeah i agree with that i mean the other thing i just wanted to reemphasize was obviously i think we're all in agreement we said it earlier the defensive line you know we need to see that uh discipline from the defensive line in order to have yep. this, uh functioning properly but those are the main points i think we've hit he we've hit most of the ones that i had for sure yeah me too fellas the games are here man the games finally count we can actually criticize and give credit in a serious way this time you know we're not we're not very loose because it's preseason man the games are here i'm excited uh and hopefully like i'm about to go on vacation but hopefully we can lock back in next week I'll, i mean you know i'll check in i'll check in via dm so we can see see what we can do but uh fellas appreciate y'all hopping on today man for the the hogs haven round table in a way um so yeah appreciate y'all Thanks for having us, Thanks, man. Appreciate don't, it. Yeah. Don't forget Penn State Purdue tomorrow night, boys. Seven, <laughs> seven o'clock. Oh shoot! I say Penn God State bless. Purdue. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try to watch it. I'm about to be in Puerto Rico, fellas. <laughs> so, uh, have a good time. I, I may have to yeah, watch. Enjoy, hey, man. I, I, I may tap in from a bar. You know, I don't know what we got on the itinerary later. So you never know. <laughs> you never know. But with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. Mark and Kyle will be around uh, on the Hogshaven podcast for sure. Um, and then schedule wise uh expect another episode tuesday ish um of next week so that being said enjoy your day enjoy your night whenever y'all listening peace everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.